Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On April 16th, 11 storytellers shared their stories with our audience at Holyhound Tap Room in downtown York. The theme for our April Story Slam was Going the Distance. We heard stories of great physical distances traveled, geographic distances that felt hopelessly far, and two pregnancy and delivery stories. In the end, our winner was Ty Lore, who won with his story about the first road trip he and his friend took as adults. So the summer of 2015, me and my uh, me and my really good friend Ryan, we went on our uh, road trip. We had planned it for approximately like four months. And we were gonna go from northwestern Pennsylvania to Yellowstone National Park to Denver, Colorado, um, or roundabout to see our uh, friend there. So we're planning this trip out and we're like, no hotels, because we're met. I know how to pitch a tent and I can start a hot fire. That's what we think. So we take off on this this travel. It's our first, like, both of us, our first road trip ever. We we go from up by Erie for quickening the story to uh, Wisconsin, and we end up in the Black Forest National Park, or Black Forest State Park in Wisconsin. Um, to this day, I've been in a lot of like trails. It's the worst marked state park in ever, <laughs> ever. There's zero trail markings anywhere in the place. So we're like, we don't know where we're allowed to camp, where we're not allowed to camp, but he read on Google that we're allowed to camp pretty much anywhere. So it's starting to get dusk at this point. We've been in the car for about nine hours, and we have our tent in the back of the truck, and we're ready to go. It's our first night as men going on this road trip out west. So um, we get the tent, we get everything out, and we're ready. And we're outside for maybe like 20 seconds, and there's just a curtain of bugs. It's the worst, like, it's the worst thing you could ever imagine. If you hate bugs, it's even worse than you could imagine. There's just a curtain of bugs, and it's dusk in Wisconsin. Um, so we get everything, and we run about 200 yards into the woods. We're like. If we're not allowed to camp here, they probably can't see us anyway, so we're going to be fine. So we, we pitch the tent and everything. We get inside. We're probably outside combined about 10 minutes total. That's with like running, two trips in, pitching the tent, getting inside, and we start up our uh, water boiler to make some tea at night because we're men. And so we're sitting, we're sitting there. We're sitting there around this uh, little thing boiling water. And uh, I get out my cell phone, and I'm like, I'm going to let my mom know that we're here live. Uh, it's been nine hours, so I should probably give her a heads up that I'm still doing good. So I'm on the phone with my mom. Like I said, we were outside for maybe ten minutes running through curtains of bugs. And um, I'm talking to her, I'm like, yeah, the trip's going great. Uh, made like three stops for gas. We're in Wisconsin now, and we're just sitting in the tent, you know, killing time. And... Uh, as I'm saying that, my buddy points to my jeans, and I look down, there's like a tick. And I've never had a tick on me before, but I'm like, ah, no big deal. So we, we get the tick off, and I keep talking to my mom. And he points to the other leg, and there's another tick. And so we get that one off, too, and we put them in a water bottle. And uh, we're sitting there, and I talk to my mom for like maybe a couple more minutes. And by the time I hang up with my mom, there's like two other ticks on my jeans. So we have four ticks in a water bottle at this point. And we're like nine and a half hours into this trip. And I start getting freaked out because I hate ticks. And so I'm like, I don't know, man. Like I did, I was like, this 
we, we just got to double check, make sure we have no ticks on us anywhere. So um, we go through all our clothing, and in total, we found about 11 ticks. And that's, uh, you know, like nine. I'm cool with staying in the tent. <laughs> 10, you're going to have to persuade me with some beers. 11, we're going to go to a hotel as soon as we can. So um, it's about like 10 o'clock at night at this point. And, uh, you know, we found like 11 ticks combined. One of them was burrowing into my buddy's leg. And we're like, hell no. We're, we're, we're going to a hotel right now. So just as quick as we ran everything out to the woods, we run everything back to the truck. We go to a hotel um, about 20 minutes, 30 minutes away. And uh, we both go and take a shower. And we're like ready to go the next day. We're all refreshed. And um, next morning we go out. We're going to South uh, We're going to the Badlands, South Dakota, then uh, North Dakota, then down to uh, like Colorado, Wyoming, Yellowstone, all that. And um, we wake up the next morning, everything's good to go. We put our shoes on, we drive out to the Badlands and it's like 105 degrees, we're walking around all day. About 24 hours after we found all those ticks on us, we're getting into our next, we're like, we don't even know where to camp right now. So we're just going to check into this like biker hotel in, uh, where, where do they have biker week at in South Dakota? Where? Sturgis, yeah. We were in Sturgis. Um, a girl smoking cigarettes comes out, checks us in. Um, we go into this like small hotel room and we're taking off our boots, our hiking boots. My buddy, my buddy finds two ticks under his shoes um, after, you know, 20... 20 plus hours in a car, walking through the Badlands, hiking and everything. And uh, so we go through the whole routine again, double check everything, get a shower, we wake up the next morning, and like I'm like at this point I'm just like, I just know there's ticks on me somewhere. <laughs> um, like I'm not even questioning it, I'm just I don't know where they're at, but they're on me. And uh, they're probably doing their thing by now, so just let it play out. So um, anyways, the next day we're driving, find another two ticks on his dashboard. We end up in Colorado like three days later, we're hanging out with our friends, and we stay one night in Yellowstone, we actually camped out in a tent, made a fire because we're men. Uh, so this whole trip was supposed to be all tents and uh, out in the wilderness. We ended up spending one night in the wilderness and a whole bunch of nights checking each other for ticks like crazy and just accepting that there was going to be one on us. Um, by the time we made it back, about six days later, if there's one thing I found out, it's that ticks can go the fucking distance because they suck so bad. I earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up, we have a story from Christina Kaufman who shared a story about her childhood paper route. Okay, this is uh, in memory of my mom who did not raise a quitter. Uh, growing up in the 80s, I was this quirky combination of being both gifted and at risk. Um, my parents were divorced and my mom and I lived in the second floor apartment of an old Victorian house uh, at 348 East Main Street in Dallas Town. Uh, she worked two jobs, so I was a latchkey kid from about the age of seven and I could be counted on to keep my shit together because I knew that my mom was depending on me. But I think she thought that I was brighter than I really was because she was constantly sort of like feeling for the boundaries of my adulting capabilities. And I think she found them when she got me my first York Dispatch paper route. Um, <laughs> the idea was that I could earn money and learn responsibility, but I was nine, which 
might have been illegal and was definitely against the company policy that you had to be 12. So <laughs> I was, um, I felt constantly guilty as I was delivering my papers because I knew that I was breaking rules, but mostly I was just scared. Um, not of like a rational fear that maybe a kidnapper would get me as I'm walking the streets in the mornings and the evenings alone. I feared this hair lady. Um, she, she lived on Maple Street, like up on this hill, and there were tiers of steps to get to her front porch, and she would stand up there and brush her hair, um, like in her nightgown, and her hair was the longest that I had ever seen on anybody other than Crystal Gale on TV, and it was like, I was certain she was a witch. I was petrified. In the evenings, I was scared of the, um, the angry guy. So this guy also lived on Maple in a duplex on the other side of the street. And he would just scream random things at me as I approached, like, hey, paper girl, you look like a boy. <laughs> like, <laughs> and <laughs> which is like an odd preoccupation for someone who's 50. <laughs> And I'm nine, but um, so I, I, would like, I was too young to really formulate the words to tell him what I would tell him now. But um, at the time, I just like my instinct was to kind of run. But I, um, you know, these papers were super heavy, like especially on Sunday. And I had two bags and I would kind of crisscross them over my chest. So it was like I had one bag choking me from this side and then another bag choking me from this side. So I'm basically just like this like suffocating androgynous weeble, you know, and I can't. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I told my mom that I wanted to quit and she was like, Chrisser, I ain't raising you to be a quitter. And like, I could even just tell from the look in her eyes that something unusual was about to happen again. Because like, my mom was only 25 at this point, and she wasn't really fettered by the conventional boundaries that really would stop other parents. So she kept me up late that night, and uh, under cover of darkness, drove us to the parking lot at DNK Surplus Grocery. Uh, and then we drove back up Route 74 with his stolen shopping cart hanging out the trunk of the car. <laughs> so now I'm doing my illegal paper route with a stolen shopping cart that just like everything else you buy or even apparently steal from DNK is completely defective. It's got this like, <laughs> it's, it's got this like wobbling wheel that just won't quit and it's so loud and I was so embarrassed that I could not like, I couldn't, I couldn't stand it by myself. So thankfully my friend Bridget lived in the first floor apartment below us and she was a year younger than I was. So she would like do whatever I told her to do, uh, including helping me with this paper route when I could tell like she really wanted no part of this. So one morning, it was a Sunday morning at like 5 a.m., I tapped on her window to wake her and um, like she came out and neither of us was into this. And the thing about my personality, I think, is that I really do, um, I try and try. And then when a situation reaches like a certain point of absurdity, I am just done. And 
I can respond in like some pretty epic ways. Um, in this case, I feel like it falls short of the legal definition of arson. Um, Bridget, operating on my instructions, went to her apartment and brought me the lighter that her brother earlier in the week had used to show me how to um, make an Aquanet torch, you know? And uh, I dragged the papers into the breezeway between our apartment building and the elderly next door neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. Scott. For those of you who haven't seen 43 editions of the York Sunday News, like set ablaze, it was not discreet. Like whole, <laughs> whole sheets of these coupons were like soaring through the air, like flaming ash birds and like landing all over the backyard and people's like garage roofs and stuff. And I, I just, I was satisfied. So we went back inside to get some more sleep, but I could have no peace because these people kept calling to complain like, we want our coupons. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, I just let the machine get it. Um, but my mom was overhearing all of this and she was like, Chris, I don't understand why they'd be calling if they didn't, uh, you know, like if you got, you know, delivered their newspapers. And um, I just kind of looked at her and said, oh, mom, like, who am I to say why people do the crazy things they do in this world? <laughs> and that might have worked if I hadn't caught the side of our apartment building on fire. Um, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Scott called our landlord because they saw these flames outside their window and they were concerned. Um, then my mom actually explained to me that our landlord was the fire chief of Dallas Town. So I, I have no idea why he didn't evict us, but I feel like I won the long game on this one because about 15 years after torching my papers, I started my career as a reporter at the York Dispatch and that might not have happened without free early access to newspapers. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from John Teske. John shared his story of the memorable hike he took on the eve of his 50th birthday. My dad told me many, many times that life really didn't start till 50. So this story is about my last night of practice before becoming 50. For whatever bizarre reason, I decided that breakfast in bed with the kids didn't cut it, and I was going to take a walk on the Appalachian Trail on the night before my 50th birthday. Doesn't that sound nice? Mm -hmm. um, except it's late October. I drop off the kids and get to the trailhead at about, I don't know, 5, 5.30, and I have a backpack with some supplies and stuff, and I head off. I've hiked this section of the trail for a bunch of times before. I thought I'd get over the first ridge to where the little hiking club shelter was and then sleep there and wake up the morning of my 50th birthday to a sunrise on the Appalachian Trail. Doesn't that sound great? I walk about the first hour, head up the first ridge, and it is gorgeous. It's fall, the leaves are wonderful, it's sunset, it's like, golden on this ridge, and I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. And then I head down to the next hollow, and even though it's still light out, I find myself heading into a black hole. I didn't bring a light. You know, who wants to bring a light? That's for people that like just a point, and I'm, it's ambient light's gonna do it. Unless the moon hasn't risen yet. 
So I'm going down into the darkness. And it gets darker and darker as I continue. To the point that I'm now navigating with shades of gray on either side of the trail. And it's a rocky trail, so you gotta go slowly to make sure that you don't break your ankle and get stuck there. Oh, I tried my phone. Yeah, no signal. Um, I finally make it up to Roush Gap. That cinder road there. There's a bridge over a stream. You're past the graveyard already, which, remember, it's totally black. And I hit the trail that's not quite so rocky for a while. I still can't see shit, okay? But I'm walking up this trail, but I'm already a little bit tired, and things start happening. You see like a little gargoyle on the side of the trail. It's like, no, no. Engaged brain, look, you're seeing things. It's dark, okay. Shit, demons. No, it's just a, like bird or something. Cool it, dude. So you walk another couple hundred yards, more tired, more bleak blackness, more, can I walk there? Walking in real darkness is serious. And then suddenly, I stop, and my heart's going There is a big ass fucking black bear laying across the trail. Jesus, I gotta freeze, he could do Engage brain. There is not going to be a big black bear laying across the trail. He can hear you from miles away. You sink to high heaven. There's no way that's... There's no way that's a bear. It took me a minute to talk myself into taking the step that I knew would get rid of the illusion, which it did. Finally make it up to the next crest, a rocky top, which is scary because I don't know where the trail leads out from there. And I can't find it. So I'm like getting panicky, I'm getting lost in the middle of nowhere on this rocky top. And then of course I see a black hole, so I know that's where I have to go. <laughs> but I head down that hillside and I know that's really the wrong way. There is another three miles before the shelter. I can't get there. This is crazy. But I just passed a shelf, a rock with some like branches put around. Someone had camped there before and I thought, ah. Oh. I changed my underwear because I was sweaty and that's what you're supposed to do. Put on a knit cap. I got my blanket. I'm ready to settle down. I've got a vanilla candle. I've got some dates. I've got my vodka long. So I'm going to have my little evening before I crash, you know. Then I hear the howling the howling in the distance. And I've been warned that the trail has dogs that have interbred with coyotes that could be really dangerous. But then it's again, engage brain, moron. They're like a mile away. You smell like shit. They have nothing to do with you, so... But then I realized that the real risk is hypothermia. It's late October, I'm cold. Despite the fact that I've changed my underwear, it gets colder as the night goes along. I finally do make it down, and after a dozen miles with stars ahead, the only way I can navigate, I finally sit down exhausted. I see two shooting stars, and then I hear this rushing sound. 
it gets louder and louder and louder. I'm thinking, oh, I got a flash flood or something. No, it's a car on the road. I finally find the road, another two hours walking, another hour driving, and I'm back home in my attic room, looking east toward the sunrise with the beer in my hand, knowing I'm where I should be on the dawn of my 50th birthday. <laughs> and my dad was right. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Tickets for our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com. <laughs>